We are in week two of our new, um, our new campaign. We're calling it Pray Like Jesus. And last week we started off talking about uh, what the whole point of this is, just for all of us to think, how should we pray? Okay, because when we talk about prayer in church, it gets to be a little overwhelming sometimes. We tend to just feel guilty that we aren't praying enough. Or some people will regularly tell me, like, I just don't know how to pray. What do I say when I pray? Uh, what posture do I assume when I pray? All of these questions come to mind when we talk about prayer. So in this series, we are just looking at the life of Jesus. We're saying, what did Jesus teach about prayer? And then, what did Jesus model about prayer? And we're just going to pattern our life after Jesus' teaching and Jesus' model of prayer. Okay? Okay. So, last week, we looked at the beginning of Jesus' prayer life and how it starts out with not really Jesus communicating with God or talking to God, but instead God talking to Jesus. And how the Father uh, communicates Jesus' identity to him. He communicates that he loves him. And he tells him that he is pleased with him. So, we talked about how the beginning of prayer is really just knowing who we are to God. And hearing that from God, uh, a really living in our identity as children. And when we do that, prayer becomes not a have to, but a get to. And we get to talk to God. We get to talk to God as our Heavenly Father and commune with Him on a regular basis. Man, it's doing it to me again. Ian, I don't understand it, dude. It worked 10 minutes ago. So, just follow me. I'm prepared this time with my notes backed up. So, whatever. Freaking technology. This is perfect because we're actually going to talk about getting away from technology today. So, good example how technology will let you down. <laughs> I'm not a digital pastor. No, that's not my, it's not in my job title. No. Yeah, I don't know. I couldn't do that. Okay. <laughs> so, um, Ian, go ahead to the next slide. Today we're talking about how to pray in solitude. Jesus' life, ministry, his teaching, he calls his followers to pray primarily in solitude. Now, okay, at the outset, I just want to say Jesus prayed with a lot of people around he prayed in small groups, like he prayed publicly. He did that often too. But in here in Matthew 6, in Jesus' teaching, he calls us to primarily build our life around prayer in solitude. That this is the response, the antidote to hypocritical prayer, praying just for affirmation from others. So in Matthew 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, it's kind of the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Some scholars think that this is like the center of Jesus' teaching. Primarily what Jesus wanted to say is right here in the middle in Matthew 6. So when it comes to prayer, it's under this kind of section where Jesus says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Okay, so Jesus says this, and then what he, he breaks into three uh, teachings or three examples of the Pharisees practicing their righteousness in front of others just to be seen by them. And he talks about it in the form of giving. That's where the famous line, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, comes from. 
Talks about it in giving, hypocritical giving, versus how his followers are supposed to give, prayer and fasting, okay? So he's, he's now in, go ahead to the next one. So verse five, skip ahead to verse five. The first section, first couple verses there is about giving. We're gonna focus in on prayer. Verse five, he says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. So in the Jewish tradition, there were a number of prayers that they were supposed to do at various times throughout the day, regularly. So what people would do, the, um, the hypocrites, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they would stand on the street corners and pray loudly and publicly so everybody can say, wow, look at these guys. Look at how pious and religious they are. Aren't they doing it right? They got it all put together. Jesus says, don't do that. He says, truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Uh, he doesn't specifically spell out what that reward is here in, in the hypocrite's case or in the next case. But most likely what he's referring to is the affirmation from people. That people are looking at them and praising them and saying, you guys are doing it right. You're the religious people. So that's, that's your reward. They've received it in full. Okay, go ahead to the next one. But when you pray, go into your room. So this is what he tells his followers to do. Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. New King James Version says your father who is in the secret place. So the word unseen and the word for secret are really the same word, um, just in the Greek, but just translated slightly different to make it readable in English. So God is unseen, so he calls his followers to go into their room, close the door, to pray in secret where God is and God sees and God will reward you. Again, he doesn't spell out exactly what that reward is here, but it certainly implies that God hears your prayer, sees your prayer, God is there, and you have the presence of God. There are many rewards that come in prayer, and Jesus openly says that we should accept those. Okay? He doesn't have any qualms about talking about the rewards of prayer. So this is what Jesus taught. Pray in solitude. Find a quiet, secret place and pray alone with your Father. So we see this in the life of Jesus, too. He didn't just teach this. He lived it. So Ian, go ahead to the next slide. This is uh, one super cool example from Jesus' life in Mark chapter 6 that really illustrates and draws out Jesus' value on solitude and prayer, getting into the secret place, the quiet place, and being alone with God. This comes after Jesus had sent out the 12 to go do ministry. They go out, they heal the sick, they cast out demons, they preach the message of repentance. They came back riding this spiritual high. It's like after Christian camp, okay? If you grew up in the church, you ever go to Christian camp? What's the one thing they always say about coming back from like a youth camp, right? It's like, how do I keep this high going? How do I keep my spiritual fervor is kind of the, the question that everybody's asking. And that's exactly what happens here, okay? They've, they're riding this spiritual high, and I think we're going to get the answer from Jesus and how to keep our, our spiritual fervor after a good time of ministry. Now, you, you would expect here, if this was a modern, western, 21st century teacher, 
that when the disciples come back, Jesus would be like the hype man. I've had this image in my head all week, and I think it's funny. Maybe you won't. But Jesus sitting there like blasting the Rocky song when they come in, like, da, 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 da. Like, you thought that was great? Wait till you see what I'm going to do next, man. Let's go. You're like, dude, your hype man voice stinks. <laughs> it does. I'm a terrible hype man. Or it's a good time for his, like, evangelist voice, you know, to get all breathy. We made it. Now we're going to go into Jerusalem. Then later, to Rome, we're going to rent the Colosseum. You're going to see God do amazing things. Everybody. You're like, that voice stinks too. It does. I intentionally avoid those voices because they're ridiculous, right? And they're manipulative. Anyways, um, that's what we would expect to happen here. Jesus would be like, let's keep driving. Keep going. We're healing people. Demons are being cast out. The, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached. I've got these 12 guys with me. Let's grow. Let's go. Let's grow this thing. Let's get huge now. Ride this spiritual high. Instead, Jesus' response is this. The disciples gathered around Jesus, reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, and our minds were like, yes, keep going, keep driving. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Jesus' response is completely different than what we would think of. Jesus, you're starting a mega church, man. You're crushing it. Keep driving. Jesus says, you're riding the spiritual high. Let's go. <laughs> we need to get away. We need to spend time in the quiet place. The word for quiet place is the Greek word eremos. Okay? It's the same word for often translated desert, wilderness, like the wilderness when the Holy Spirit leads Jesus out in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Same, same word. It's just a, a, a vacant area where there aren't population. There's no civilization. There's no people. It's quiet. It's peaceful. Jesus says, come on, let's get out of town. We need to go rest. We need to be together and we need to pray. Go on, verse 32. It says this. So when they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place, there's our word, Eremos, but many saw them leaving and recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. <laughs> Next verse, verse 34. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. In Christianese, like perfect Christianese, this has been crushing me, just wrecking me all week. You've been there. Long days at work, you're tired, you're exhausted, you're stressed out, you have a day off, you're like, I'm vegging. I'm just going to rest. And then the phone rings. <laughs> Your kids don't leave you alone. <laughs> you're trying to take a nap on the couch, and they're jumping, caving in your chest, right? Someone calls with an emergency. Something interrupts your plan for rest. What's your response usually? I usually don't pass this test. <laughs> my test is, or my, my response is usually frustration, anger. I get short. 
And as a confession, it's because when, I, when I'm not spending time in solitude with God, that's what happens. My fuse is shorter. I'm more irritable. I say things that I regret. But not Jesus. Jesus is looking forward for an escape with his, with his 12 disciples, a time alone in the solitary place to pray and be together. <laughs> and the crowd follows him. They find out where he's going. They follow him there. And Jesus' response is compassion. That's just who Jesus is. And I think a big part of it is because he spends and values and cherishes that solitary time with God. It says he has compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Now we're going to fast forward to verse 45. But in the meantime, what, what happens next is what's known as the feeding of the 5,000. Okay, so uh, 5,000 men are there. Who knows how many total? Um, Jesus has five loaves of bread and two fish, and he multiplies miraculously the five loaves of bread and two fish and feeds 5,000 people. This is an event recorded in all four of the Gospels, and John's Gospel reports that after this event, the people want to make Jesus king. So he sends the disciples away while he dismisses the crowd. He says the people want to make him king. After witnessing what he's done, <laughs> Jesus has a pretty rough conversation with them. Where he tells them that he's the bread of life and they all leave. But Actually, I think that's, that's later. But they want to make him king. So what Jesus does next in verse 45, go ahead to the next one. There it is. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida, where he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. So here it is. Jesus is crushing it in ministry. They want to make him king. He's like, everybody loves me. This is great. 5,000 people, they are following me. I can't even get a break. They're chasing me down. Wherever I go, they see where my boat goes and they run. Like they outrun my boat across the shore to get there, just to be with me. And so what Jesus does is, hey, I need to, I need to get away and go pray and be with God. So he leaves them, he goes up on the mountainside to pray. (laughs) He goes to find the solitary place, the quiet place to pray. And after this, you know, if you follow along in the story, he walks on the water, he meets the disciples out on the lake, the people follow him again, and this is where, sorry, I had my, my timeline confused, and this is where the people follow him to where he's going, And he gives them the tough talk about him being the bread of life. You can read about it in John chapter 6. And at the end of this talk, the crowd, everybody, deserts him and they leave. So, What was Jesus praying about up there on the mountain? They they, They went from wanting to make him king to leaving after that one teaching on Jesus being the bread of life. And he turns to the 12 and he says, are you guys going to go too? He goes from super popular, mega church, to just him and his 12 guys in a span of like 24 hours. 
That's some roller coaster ministry. How does Jesus weather that? Quiet time. Quiet time with God. Finding the solitary place and being alone with God. Kurt, would you mind going to grab John? Thanks. Go ahead to the next one, Ian. So here's our big idea. When we look at the teaching of Jesus and Jesus' lifestyle, we're going to look at one more verse later when I come up to apply it. When we look at the teaching of Jesus and his lifestyle, we see that Jesus taught and Jesus lived a life of prayer in solitude. So if Jesus taught it, and Jesus lived it, and you claim to be a Christian, a little Christ, a follower of Jesus, we too should make a life of solitude in prayer an essential part of our faith and our life with him. This isn't rocket science. (laughs) You guys, if you read the, the Gospels, you'll see this. We all see this. The difficulty is doing it and sticking to it and making it a habit. We'll talk about that when I come back up later. But for now, would you guys pray with me? Lord, Father God, thank you for for Jesus, for his teaching, for modeling for us how we should live. So Lord, at the outset, we confess that we don't always do this. We don't do this well. We don't desire the solitary place. We don't desire quiet with you, God. But Lord, when we look at the life of Jesus, we see how necessary this is. We see how we need it. So Lord, I pray that you would stir in our hearts and that you would inspire us to pursue this, to live like you, Jesus, to live your way, to follow your teaching and to follow your example. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you guys stand with us? We're going to sing together. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that we can trust in you. Lord, we thank you for the hope that you give us in our quiet moments with you. Thank you for the clarity that you bring. Lord, in the midst of our troubles, in the midst of the big decisions that we have to make, Lord, you comfort us and give us peace in the quiet place with you. We love you, Lord. Amen. You guys can have a seat. All right, let's apply this. Remember our big idea is that Jesus taught and lived a life of prayer in solitude. The simple application is, so should we. We should follow his teaching. We should follow his example. Now, to be clear, solitude is not isolation. Okay, Isolation and solitude are two different things. Solitude is good for us. It recharges our soul. It's a time to reflect and pray and to be with God. It's a time to withdraw and then return to people and ministry and being around others. Isolation, on the other hand, is not healthy. 
is where we are alone and isolated and we don't connect with anyone. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in, in his book, Life Together, he writes about how important it is for the day alone. Okay, his, the book is about church community and living together, and he writes about the significance of the gathering and the church coming together, but then right after that, he writes about the importance of the day alone. And I quote it in the devotional. I didn't write it down here. But he warns against both. Like if somebody is only alone, that's unhealthy. That's not good. If somebody is only in community, that's not healthy. That's not good. You need both. And they both need to be working together in the life of the believer. And we see this in Jesus' life and in his ministry. Henry Nouwen, he said this. He said, without solitude, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. Hear that. Without solitude, it is impossible to live a spiritual life. And this comes from a great spiritual teacher. We do not take the spiritual life seriously if we do not set aside some time to be with God and to listen to him. That is a hard, bitter pill that we must swallow. The truth is, we do what we value. You spend time doing what you value. I think our number one excuse is we don't have time to spend with God. I would push back on that and say, it's probably that you just don't value it enough. If you find that you don't have time to be with God. There may be seasons of life where busyness is a reality. But looking at the life of Jesus... (laughs) If we don't think we have enough reason to get into the quiet place with God, look at Jesus' life. He had three years of ministry. He's the Messiah. He's healing people of debilitating diseases. He's casting out demons. He's teaching the truth of his kingdom in a way that nobody has ever done before or will do since. If anybody had more reason to work nonstop, it was Jesus. Your reasons aren't that good, I promise you. (laughs) Netflix is not that good of a reason. Jesus' reasons are better, and he still does it because he valued the spiritual life. Go ahead to the next one. Luke 5, 15 to 16 says this. Guys, this is all over the Gospels, these statements about Jesus. That means the disciples noticed it. The disciples noticed this in Jesus' life and ministry, and they made a point in their accounts of his life to communicate this and say, he did this all the time. Luke 5, 15 to 16 says, Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. Again, lots happening. Jesus is super popular. He's busy. He's busy. He's busy. He's busy. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places, there's our word, eremos, and prayed. Let's unpack this. Ian, go ahead to the next one. He often withdrew. Often. Okay, that means whatever place you choose, wherever solitude, wherever you find solitude, it has to be a place where you can find it often. This isn't Jesus' life. It doesn't follow the pattern of like a once a year weekend retreat. It's often, it's a regular rhythm of his day-to-day life. 
It's not just a week-long vacation or a retreat. It's regular in his life and ministry. And it seems as if when the pressure intensifies, when he has more to do, he goes away more to be alone with God. Henry Nouwen, who I quoted earlier, he asked Mother Teresa for spiritual direction. And her answer is, <laughs> spend one hour a day in adoration to the Lord and never do anything you know is wrong. Do this and you'll be fine. <laughs> Mother Teresa, okay, <laughs> spend one hour a day in adoration to the Lord and don't do anything that you know is wrong and you'll be fine. We complicate this so much sometimes. Spend one hour a day with God in isolation. If you can't do an hour, start at 10, 15 minutes. I don't know. Start small, work your way up to an hour. We need to do this often because our soul needs this. And by the way, a lot of the quotes and stuff in here I found in a little book by John Mark Comer called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Fantastic book. Highly recommend it. Run to the next one, Ian. Jesus withdrew. Withdrew. We must withdraw from something to get to the quiet place, to the Eremos. <laughs> I think, and our friend Chuck Beckler, who I talked with about this, he agrees. He said it before I even said it when we met this week, that this is the biggest challenge to prayer facing the church today. Withdrawal. You must withdraw from something. You will leave something in order to go to the quiet place. Ronald Rawlheiser, he said this, we are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. Think about that. We are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. Every second, every moment of our day is filled with entertainment with work, with good stuff, of meeting the needs of people around you and helping them and making meals and providing and all of this stuff. It's all good stuff. But we are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion, he says, and I think that's true. Because our attention is constantly being drawn someplace else. We think of rest and relaxation as watching TV. And I came to this realization years ago that this is what I was doing. My rest was just sitting, resting on the couch, but my attention would be on whatever, watching a Netflix show, watching a game, something, just whatever, browsing my phone. And my soul was dying from that. <laughs> I would walk away from that and not feel rested at all. Like I spent a whole day just lounging, doing nothing. Why do I not feel rested? Because your soul is craving something more. That doesn't feed your soul. This is going to look different for all of us, okay? Extroverts, I'm slightly more extroverted on the scale. That means I have to go away from people, <laughs> even the people that I love, and that hurts, <laughs> because I just love to sit on the couch next to the people that I love. It's hard for me to go away and be alone and be by myself. Introverts, 
It means you're going to have to put the book down, <laughs> the project, whatever, whatever thing you're working on, the craft, I don't know, whatever you're doing, you're going to need to put that down. And you're still alone, but your thoughts and your attention are in prayer to God. British-American author Andrew Sullivan in his essay titled, I, I Used to Be Human, which is a dude, <laughs> pretty compelling title, I think. He's talking about and referencing philosopher Charles Taylor in his book, A Secular Age, and he writes this on it. Go ahead to the next slide, Ian. It says, modernity, modernity slowly weakened spirituality by accident in favor of commerce. It downplayed silence and mere being in favor of noise and constant action. The reason we live in a culture increasingly without faith is not because science has somehow disproved the unprovable, but because the white noise of secularism has removed the very stillness in which it might endure or be reborn. Go ahead to the next one. If the churches came to understand that the greatest threat to faith today is not hedonism but distraction, Perhaps they might begin to appeal anew to a frazzled digital generation. Whoa. <laughs> strong, strong words. That we are distracting ourselves into oblivion, spiritual oblivion. So we need to withdraw from something. Next, we need to go to the lonely place and pray. Okay, prayer is undergirding all of this, so I'm not putting that in yellow. If you're like, man, he didn't put the most important part in yellow. It's just yellow, okay? <laughs> he went to the lonely place, and there he prayed. So this is what we must do. We must go there often, we must withdraw from something else, and we must go find a lonely place and pray. Can be a, a place in your in your house, like Jesus teaches in Ma in Matthew six. Close the door, go into your room. It can be the front porch. It can be the kitchen table. Before everybody else is awake, it can be the bathroom. If you have little kids, it's the bathroom. <clears throat> I remember when my kids were toddlers, like I couldn't even escape there. I'd see little fingers like come under the door. I'm like, go away! What are you doing? <laughs> you'd be the backyard the car while you're driving that's not great but it's it's something right you'd be the trail the forest preserve the lake i don't know find your spot it's got to be close so you can go there often but it's got to be a place where you withdraw to and you leave the devices, you leave the other stuff behind, you go and you just sit in solitude and silence before God. So, before we sing one more song, I'm going to invite you to just pray. Just sit and reflect for a moment. I want you to think first and foremost about your heart. Do, do you really desire this? Do you value it? Do you value communion with God and being with God in prayer? That was one of the realizations that hit me years ago like a ton of bricks. Again, like Christianese, it wrecked me. Like, I, I, I don't value this because I'm not doing it. Do you value time with God? Then next, what do you need to withdraw from? Entertainment, distraction, good things, other people. And then finally, where can you go?
for solitude.